Thank you so much. Uh, am I on? Yes. Isn't that cool? Like I'm still, I'm still on because somewhere I'm wired. You can't see it, but it's like the Wizard of Oz up here. Um, first of all, I am so excited to be with you guys today, sharing with you on this amazing topic of awakening our creativity. And I also just want to give the, the band another hand. I just want to like thank them. For, for their ministry, for, for their excellence, and also, don't you love it when all the songs are in the, curl of, in the key of girl? I, like, I love that because most of the time we're having a hard time singing, right? When the, guy, the tenors, the guy tenor leads, and then we're kind of like, oh. We don't know where to go, you know? So I love, and I, just all of you guys, I could feel just the excitement and passion in your voice this morning as you're singing along with this band. Um, and part of that is just, you guys are excellent musicians. Thank you for, for bringing that this morning. Well, and how, how uh, wonderful, too, that we are in this place gathering on a Saturday morning to talk about um, our own creativity and where we are on that journey and how we're going to awaken more of our creativity. Um, you know, you were given this, this kind of quick spur-of-the-moment task to turn to somebody and tell them <laughs> in what ways you thought you were creative, which I thought, wow, way to just dive on in, you know? <laughs> and some people are totally fine with that, and they're like, well, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. And I realized that other people are kind of going, you know, like deer in the headlights, uh, just because you're not really even sure how to answer that one. And that's kind of what I want to talk about today, is just how do we stir that up, and what does that mean, and what does that look like for each of us? And, I was actually going to ask you guys, you know, on the continuum of creativity, where do you see yourself? You know, do you see yourself as kind of someone who, who compartmentalizes their creativity and maybe brings it out once a month for a, a scrapbooking class or, or, you know, a dance class? Uh, or is it, are you someone who, who every day of your life you, you find yourself kind of using those muscles, you know, those creative muscles? And, and um, you know, where are you? Or are you somewhere in the middle where maybe those muscles are stiff, but you know you've got them, you know? And I, I want to talk a little bit about, hopefully, how to, how to maybe warm up those muscles and, and to use them a little bit more. I'm, I just want to prepare you. I'm going to be taking my glasses on and off today uh, because I was at the eye doctor last week, and I needed, a, I needed a stronger prescription. And he said, well, Stacey, you've got a couple of options here. You need, glasses, you need stronger lenses to see things up close, and you need stronger lenses to see things far away. So, but they're different lenses. So like. And you all, you know, some of us of that age know exactly what I'm talking about. And I'm like, I'm not going, I'm not going there, Doc. <laughs> no. <laughs> so just so you know, right now, you're blurry and this is blurry, and I'm okay with that. So <laughs> I'm like, I'm going to go kicking and screaming into that bifocal world, I'm telling you right now. Um, so I want to start with a story of my Nana, because uh, my grandma, uh, who is my mother's mother, uh, was the first person I saw who had a real passion for what she did. And it was, um, when I was growing up as a little girl, I was growing up in a little town called Grand Forks, North Dakota. And that is where my Nana had her, her job and her workplace. She was the town's seamstress. And um, she worked for 40 years at the biggest department store in Grand Forks, North Dakota. And then when she was done with that job, she retired and loved it so much and had so many clients that kept coming to her for their tailoring and alterations and, and sewing needs that my grandpa built a little dress shop in her, in the, in her home, is in the lower level of their, their little house. 
and she sewed up into her 80s. I mean, she just loved it so much. And it was my favorite place to hang out as a little girl on Saturday mornings. I would love going to Nana's because it was just kind of full of her world, you know? It was like this, the sound of the, of the machine, the sewing machine kind of whirring and humming, and then the, you know, the, the ironing board was always going. She had a steamer in the corner that was always kind of puffing out little exhales of, of, uh, of steam. And I don't know, she just was a, a kind of a, a, a a, a, you know, a real fireball in her own world of color and sound and motion. And, and uh, she always had a tape measure around her neck and a pin cushion around her wrist and a couple pins in her mouth. And she was, had, usually was chalking a hem or she was pressing something or you know, getting ready for the next client on Saturdays, of course, was her busiest day. And I loved going, just spending the day in my Nana's dress shop kind of trying to be a little mouse in the corner and just watch her because there was so much vitality and energy to her when she was working. And although it kind of, you know, she, she kind of went crazy during busy season, um, it also fueled her, you know, it kind of gave her energy and it gave her, I could tell, that sense of purpose. She made clothes for every, every walk of life, every momentous occasion in life. She, you know, she sewed for the whole town, but it was mostly women that came to her, you know, for, um, for, for prom dresses for their daughters, for wedding gown alterations, for christening gowns for their babies. Um, you know, you name it, she sewed it. She used to sew uh, matching Easter and Christmas dresses for my little sister and I, and so that we'd always looked alike, and you know. And it, it, it was amazing because Years later, I moved out of that town and moved here to, set to uh, right across the bay to Alameda, is where I settled as a teenager. And my, my Nana would send care packages after I left, because I missed her so much. And she would send me um, clothes, like an outfit. She'd sew a whole outfit, just, and she never used patterns or anything like that. And you know, I would put them on, and it's a testament to her skill that I actually wore her outfits in junior high, you know? <laughs> like, it wasn't like that, oh, you know, holiday sweater, you know? It was, it was like legitimate, you know? People would say, oh, where'd you get that outfit, you know? And it was like, it, it, if she had sewn tags into our clothes, which she didn't, I always wish she had, you know, years later, but I, I, to me, I feel like it should have said, I made this for you because I love you. And I felt her love in those clothes. I felt, and not only her love, but I felt like it was her imprint, her, her work of art, you know, it was her gift to the world and her gift to me personally and everyone that wore her clothes. And it's amazing to think that, you know, the clothes that she sewed for people kind of lived a life beyond her once they, once they were passed on. You know, they, they got handed down and, and given away and, and gifted to other people and they just kind of went on and lived a life. And here I am, two generations later, and I, I cannot sew, I have to confess to you, I cannot sew a button uh, or hem a pair of pants to save my life. And um, I tried, early in our marriage, I tried to hem a pair of pants for my husband, and um, as I saw him walk away to work with one leg, you know, it's like, I better just stick to my gifts, because that's not one of them. But I feel this kindred sense of creativity with my Nana, and, and especially as I got into kind of the flow of my own purpose, my own gift, and what I really wanted to do in the world. And I discovered that when I was in about junior high, 12 or 13, 14 years old, where I, I have always been a lover of words. I've always written in my diary. I've written poems when I was a little girl. I used to write stories. And I mean, anything I could write, I would, you know, that was kind of what I loved. But then around 12 or 13, and I don't know exactly why, but I started kind of hearing melodies you know, come up off the page. I, I wanted to have those poems become songs. And I wasn't 
raised in a musical family. Neither of my parents were musical. So it was kind of odd that I suddenly, at age 12 or 13, went up to my parents and said, I think I need guitar lessons uh, because I think I need to write a song. <laughs> and they looked at me like I was from another family. You know, I was like, what is that? I don't even know what that means. And so I started playing piano and guitar. And, um, and sure enough, as soon as I had a couple of chords or on the piano or the guitar, these melodies I was hearing, they found a context. They found a form and a shape. And I began kind of forming them and writing songs as early as junior high and then, and then all through high school and college. And then now I've, um, I've recorded 10 um, CDs. Uh, I have had music um, airing on you know, television shows and I've had um, and movies and I've written so songs for you know, weddings and funerals and babies being born and I've written songs for my friends and my husband and I've written songs for church and for, for um, every holiday. I mean, I've written songs for every occasion of life you can imagine. And, and I, I hope that like my Nana's clothes, that these songs that I've written, once they are shared with other people, that they go out and kind of live a life beyond me. You know, because you know how when you hear a song, like putting on an outfit, really. It sort of becomes your own, right? When you bring your own life experience to it and your own meaning to it, that song becomes kind of yours in a way, depending on what you bring to it. And like my Nana, I hope that what people hear in the music I share with them is that it's something for them, that it's something that I'm gifting them, but that, that also it, it's something that I'm passionate about and that it has my imprint and my heart and my, my soul in it. And, and I like to think, too, that, that for all of us, you know, as I think about my, my Nana, energized, you know, knee-deep in fabric and in deadlines to try and finish something, and I think about myself in the middle of writing a song and trying to finish it by tomorrow morning when I know I have to sing it, and that kind of crazy, um, that crazy moment where we're just shaping and forming and grabbing ideas out of the air and using our imaginations and using our creativity, that, that in that moment when we feel most alive and most purposeful and most truly ourselves, that maybe that is really what we're talking about when we're talking about awakening our creativity. That we're not saying it's a list of accomplishments or it's a list of what somebody deems as artistic, but that we're in fact talking about the very um, soul level of kind of nurturing that place that feels meaningful, that place that feels truly authentically us. And what is it for each of us that we need to be doing to get to that place and to really move from that place? You know, unlike, um, you know, it's not, I know for sure that it isn't just my, my Nana, two generations ahead of me, from which I have this same kindred creative desire. I believe it goes way, way, way all the way back to the origins of, of creation itself. If we look at Genesis 1.27, you know, we see that God says, let us make man in our own image. And male and female, he created them both in his own image. And, and that idea of being created in the image of God, I think, is within is that part of that could be some sort of physical resemblance, yes, but I think deeper than that, it's, it's the ability to love and to reason and to think and to dream and to create. And so that creative desire 
uh, within, within each of us has its source truly in God himself because we are created in his image. And I believe that part of that means we're created to create. You know, if you look at the very first thing we see God doing in Genesis, all throughout chapter one and part of chapter two is we see him creating something out of nothing. And, and he's doing it not just out of a sense of obligation or duty or, or you know, but he's actually at various points, if you read the narrative, uh, God is calling it good. He's sitting back and going, that's good. And I imagine it's kind of like my Nana, you know, when she finishes a dress and she sits back in her Norwegian accent and says, yeah, it's good. <laughs> it's like that sense of satisfaction, like, yeah, I did that thing and it turned out good. And I think that each of us has that, whatever the medium is, uh, whatever the tools are, whatever the end product is, is going to look different, as different as each of the personalities and faces in this room. But I think we have it in our DNA to, to, to want to create and make something and call it good, you know, to find joy in it. So, so some of you, I think, are sitting here, and, and though you're not openly so, because, I mean, after all, we're among women, and, and, and you know, any chance to hang out with ladies and, and eat fabulous food and sing and stuff, we're not going to complain about it, right? <laughs> we're like, oh, yes, thank you, Jesus. But at the same time, I feel like some of you might be saying, oh, this is one of those creative talks, and this is not really me, you know, I'm not really that, I'm not really a creative person. And so I really want to kind of, I want, I want to sort of wrestle with those people today, if I can, in, in a little bit, just because I think that you know, many of us um, do sense that that there are these sort of outward giftings, these outward forms of creativity that we just have not ever been drawn to or good at, and therefore have kind of settled into this place of yeah, I'm not really, I'm just not really a creative person. Well, I want to talk a little bit about that, and I also want to, I also want to kind of not let anybody off the hook this morning in terms of awakening their creativity. Um, and, and how do I know that each of us is creative, that each of us does have some kind of talent or tools um, creatively to work with? Well, I have to, I have to look at, I have to look at a story that Jesus told um, called the parable of the talents. And the, the, um, the version I, I read from is in Matthew 25, if you want to jot it down. But you know the story, it's, it's a fairly common story that Jesus tells. And you know, parables are those stories that that Jesus tells to try to get his followers to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like, because it's, it's, he's using very common everyday um, you know, people and places and characters, but he's trying to get these huge, you know, mysterious kingdom principles across to, to human beings that can't fathom them. So he tells this story, and he says, well, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It's like a landowner who's going to go away for a long time. And as he's going, he calls to himself three of his servants, and he gives them each something to use as when he, in, his, in his absence. To one servant, he gives 10 talents. To another servant, he gives five. And to the third servant, he gives one. Now, we don't know exactly what a talent is back then, what Jesus refers to, but we do know it's not the same way we use talent now. We're not talking about abilities or gifts, but, but in those days, it was actually a monetary amount of money. It was, was coinage, most likely. So a talent might have been a single day's wage. It might have been a week's wage. It might have been an actual month's wages. But a talent was a significant chunk of money. So 10 talent, five talent, one talent. Master goes away, and each of the three servants goes their separate ways. When the master comes back, he calls those same three servants to him and says, well, what do you have to show me? The one with 10 talents comes to him and says, I've doubled it. 
and he, sh and he shows he's got 20. The one with five talents, same thing. He's invested well. He's, he's bartered and, and traded and sold, and he's actually, again, yielded double on this investment, and so he comes with 10. Well, the, single, the one who was given one talent, the scripture tells us, he says, I, f I was afraid that you were harsh, that you were a harsh, cruel master, and that you took what didn't belong to you. So I buried it for safekeeping, and look, I still have it. I haven't lost it, and he hands it to him. Well, what's telling about this story is the way that the master reacts to each of the three of the characters. Uh, the two who bring back the, invest, you know, the, the yield, the double, he says to them, well done, good and faithful servants. Enter into the joy that is my kingdom. And to the servant who buries it, he says, depart from me. You can have no part of, of this kingdom. And by the way, the one talent I did give you, you need to give it to the one with the most. Which to our way of thinking is kind of like, well, that's not very fair, you know. But I want to, I want to examine a couple things about this story that, that aren't fair. Because that's part of some of our hang-up with regard to this whole creativity issue, is that we kind of feel like maybe we were, we were short-cheated short or, or short-changed, excuse me, on that whole, you know, when, when God is giving out the gifts. So we know God is the giver of all good gifts. That's one of the things we see from this story, right? The master is, is the figure of, of Jesus, the figure of God. And, and so we represent the three characters. And the idea, first of all, that seems a given, a bedrock given in that story is that God does give us gifts. He does give us opportunities, talents, resources, skills uh, that are suited to our personalities and to our lives. It, the story does not tell us exactly why one is given 10 or 5 or 1, but it does say each was given according to their ability. So we have to believe that, that God is a giver of good and perfect gifts, first of all, scripture tells us that, and that he knows exactly what each of us needs, and he gives us that. Well, what the story doesn't do is it doesn't show us the three characters comparing one another, does it? I mean, I feel like there, we should press a pause button right there, because I think some of us, for some of us, our stories have been on pause there for a long time at that stage at the handing out stage. At any given moment, I feel like any of us can either hop on Facebook or turn on TV or uh, you know, even look around the room and see this whole kind of continuum of, oh, she has more. Oh, she's got a lot less than me. Where are you on the continuum? But the idea of comparing, you know, this idea that, um, man, and I mean, pick any area, right? Wow, she was really gifted in the looks department. Wow, she's got way more going on uh, with those well-behaved, fabulous, successful children of hers. <laughs> she, man, she's got, she's got a spiritual life I wish I had. Man, if I had that job, I could. Or man, just, you know, just go on and on and on. Gifts, talents, all those things that we kind of do that comparing and contrasting of where we stand. And for some of us, we never move beyond that in our stories. For some of us, we get so tripped up by what someone else has as, as compared to what we have. And, and of course, if you think about it just kind of in a literal sense, if you're always sort of looking at what someone else has in their hand, you, you, you absolutely don't see or value what you have in your own. And what, what I'd like to do is just to kind of um, throughout as I'm speaking today, I want to throw up uh, a slide 
this next slide periodically. And I'm going to ask you to, to consider and reflect with me as we go through this, because I don't want this to just be me disseminating information. I want you to, to engage with me on this, and I want you to make the most of this time this morning to think through some of these issues for yourself. And I'm going to ask you to respond to this first question, which is this. What are the particular talents you've been given that are suited to your personality and strengths? Do you recognize these as gifts of worth and value, or do you find that you downplay and undervalue them? In the little folders that you guys had on your, on your seats when you arrived, there's space in here for you to jot down some thoughts as we go through some of these reflective questions. And I'd really encourage you to do this um, just for your own sake, because I think sometimes when you actually write things down, you're processing it a little more deeply. And I'd like you to just think about that. Essentially, I'm asking you, what do you think it is that's been placed in your hand? What are those particular talents that you've been given? Those strengths, those gifts. And I would encourage you, too, as you're thinking through these, no, no gift or talent is too trivial or surface to mention, nor is any gift too philosophical or deep or, do you know what I mean? You might have everything on there from I'm a good listener to I bake a mean casserole. You know what I mean? Like, it could be cooking. It could be things like I know that I'm gifted in the area of hospitality with people. I love to open my home. I, I mean, just think of the things that you truly enjoy doing and that you've been told, maybe even by others, that you're good at. What are those things for you?
So getting back to our, our three characters in the story, if the point of that story is to say, it isn't about comparing how much you have, it's about recognizing the worth and value and truly owning what you do have, and then doing business with it in God's kingdom. That's the piece that I think we need to really focus on and move forward in, always in our lives, right? I feel like all of us can grow in that area of, am I really, am I really fully investing myself, taking risks, reaching out, using this gift, using this area of strength in my life um, to its full extent, to the extent that God wants me to do so in his kingdom? Am I looking for opportunities? Am I planting myself in the fields that God has given me, in, in, in the people he's placed in my path? You know, am I planting seeds and investing myself in those areas? I think sometimes we get, we get sort of caught up in this huge sort of global, well, I'm not feeding everybody in India, so I'm just, I might as well just watch my soap operas and, <laughs> or no, no, nowadays it's like watch my reality shows, right? Um, but truly think in terms of the sphere of influence that you have been, been given. This is, this, is your, this is your field that I believe each of us has been given. You know, the people with whom you work, your family, your church community, your neighborhood, to what extent are you doing business with what you've been given in those fields, you know, is what I think the story is saying. And, and the other thing the story is saying is look at the rewards of those that do those things, of those that do invest and, and give of themselves and plant themselves and, and really get involved and do business with what they've been given. When the story, the master says to these servants, there's two things, two rewards that I think are so cool. And I, I, don't, I keep reminding myself, you know, when I'm exhausted or burnt out or, or feel like I don't have it anymore or feel discouraged, I keep reminding myself of these two rewards. One is the master says to them, uh, come and enter into the joy of my kingdom. Enter into my joy. <laughs> How cool is that? that? That part of using our gifts means we start seeing things from God's perspective, from his heart, and we start being partakers of that joy, you know? Like it becomes not so much about our agenda and what we want to do with our gifts and what we want to accomplish with, with, with those talents, but more about, God, show me your heart. Where are you finding joy? Well, you can find that in scripture too, what God finds joy in, 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 uh, in helping those that, that don't have a voice, in, in feeding the hungry, in, in comforting the, the comfortless, you know, weeping with those that weep. And, I mean, all those areas where you see Jesus reaching out and his heart pouring out, certainly that can be a way that we can ask the Lord, how can we give of ourselves in that way, and then enter into your joy. And I think part of that, you know, that other part of this piece too, is that God wants us to be joyful in our, in our gifts. I mean, he, in those areas that we're, that we are strong, I mean, he keeps thinking about my Nana and about how I, how I feel as well when I'm fully operating in, in my gifts. There's a real sense of energy there and fuel. And it's different than just punching a clock. It's different than just you know, 
the day job. And we may have the day job, and the day job is what it is. And we may even be able to use our gifts within that, within the confines of that nine to five, if you will, sort of day job. But I do believe that creativity is more of, um, you know, not just a career path, but it's a soul path that nourishes those muscles that get worn out from the nine to five. You know what I'm saying? And there's joy, there's deep joy. You know, I spoke with a woman who, um, at a conference recently, who had, who had painted all through college. She was a painter, she was an art major in school, and she always had an easel set up in her dorm room, um, just because she said it was the one thing she did that kind of allowed her to sort of shut out the rest of the world and just kind of get lost in that world of painting and her own her own creativity and imagination and, and you know, making something and calling it good, you know? And she did that all through college and then um, she was an art major and then as soon as school was over, she started looking into what was involved in like, you know, renting, um, renting a space for, and then, uh, you know, creating enough, enough work to build a reputation, to sell her work at a price that would then merit her showing her work at a gallery and that would then, you know, allow her to make a living and she just kind of started following that path and got, incredibly intimidated and discouraged and ended up um, slowly but surely pushing aside painting and she ended up taking a regular you know um, office admin job just to kind of pay bills while she was still working on her art but just as time went on she she got so kind of fearful and intimidated by the process of what it would take to actually be you know a successful artist in her mind what it looked like that she ended up literally and figuratively shutting the door of her spare bedroom where she said today, 10 years later, she still keeps an easel and paint in her spare bedroom. But she said, I, it's literally got dust on it. I don't ever go in there because it's like a painful reminder to me that I gave up something I love um, for pragmatic and fear, kind of fearful reasons, you know? And she said, I, I, but I'm fine, I'm rediscovering, even just in talking about creativity, she said, I'm rediscovering the fact that it isn't about being successful. It's about just going in that room and painting again and just finding that joy in my life uh, that I can't find anywhere else, you know? Um, because the thing is, and this is what kind of brings us to that third tragic character in the story, is that it is, it is really easy to think of lots of reasons to bury that talent like that one third servant did, right, with his one talent. And, and you look at the number one reason he did that, he says, I was afraid that you were a harsh taskmaster and that you took what didn't belong to you, he said to the, to the master. I think fear is the number one creativity killer. I think that it, it shows up in all kinds of ways for each of us, and, but it has the same end, and that is it shuts you down. Whether you are afraid of rejection, whether you are afraid of, uh, afraid of success and wondering, what will I do if it actually takes off? Uh, whether you're afraid of um, you know, uh, not fully even realizing your dream, not being good enough like this painter. Not, I, you know, why should I try? Because I'm probably not even going to be good enough. I'm not ever really going to make it in that area, so why should I try? I mean, those are all have their root in fear. And fear is the creativity killer that all of us have to fight. You know, um, there was a book I read, which if, if, this, if this whole topic is sparking you, um, you need to read a book called uh, The War of Art. 
and it's a book by Stephen Pressfield. He's not a believer, but he has some incredibly powerful things to say about getting deep into that place where you are creative and you are you know, kind of doing what you're supposed to do. But he says that as we approach the area of our deepest calling, we often face the most resistance. I'll say that again, because I think the parable of talents says the same thing. As we approach the work related to our area of deepest calling, we also face the most resistance. Uh, <laughs> why? Well, it's because that's where all the goodness is. That's where all the joy is. That's where all the effectiveness is. You know, Beth Moore, the Bible teacher, says it, same thing, but says it in a little bit different way. She says, you know, she says, a, a woman hardly has a fight on her hands until she begins to really serve in her area of giftedness and effectiveness. That's where the fight starts. Because you have to fight not only, you have to fight all those fears and all those inner editors and censors that tell you you're not good enough, that you shouldn't be doing this, that there's a million reasons why you shouldn't be doing it. But I think the fact that there's more resistance around that area of your life means push it, baby. Push it, push through it. Because that means you're meant to go in that direction. You're meant to be fully, authentically, giftedly, uniquely, serving effectively in God's kingdom with that. And, and I think, too, that you know, part of the fear comes from what that servant illustrated, which was, don't ask too much of me, God. If I really start serving in my area of, of, of giftedness, then I think you're probably going to pull way too much out of me, and I'm, that's not going to work, because I'm only willing to give you, you know, this much of the pie. And, but see, the beauty, the beauty of, I think, this whole thing is that when you are moving and flowing in the area of your deepest joy and your deepest passion and your deepest love, it's not going to feel like work. It's not going to feel like exhaustion or burnout. It's going to feel like re-energized. It's going to feel fueled. You know, I read this quote. This woman in the 18th century on the, on the Nebraskan prairie, a woman kept a diary. And she had children, you know. And, uh, and a husband, and, and you know, 18th century prairie woman of Nebraska. I mean, seriously, does it get any harder than that? <laughs> in the winter, she, she kept a diary, and, and she said, this is what her, her journal said. She said, I, I make quilts in the winter. I make them warm to keep my family from freezing. I make them beautiful to keep my heart from breaking. I feel like that's it, you know, like that thing we do that we love so much, it isn't just for others, although it, it is for others, but it will keep your heart from breaking. To not do it is to bury it from yourself as well as from the people around you, like that third servant who buried it. He couldn't access it when it was buried. Neither could anybody around him. When we withhold our deepest gifting. We are withholding from one another in community as well as from ourselves. I mean, I have, I, I, could, I feel like I could, all day long I could tell you stories of people I'm meeting. I, I met a dancer, a young woman, 22 years old, who injured, had a bad, bad injury, 
in her leg uh, as she was halfway through a, an incredible dance career. I mean, she was heading for New York to s dance with a really reputable company, injured her leg, took a year off, and, and then, you know, you know how that is. It's like it, that year just kind of be became this whole catalyst to her losing it, like just losing the, the fire and then became discouraged and then became, um, and then became fearful and then became paralyzed because she thought, this is all I know how to do. This is all I've been groomed to do since I was a little girl. Felt like her whole life had been uh, ruined you know, by this injury. And so she absolutely has buried that talent. And she is miserable because she's not dancing. A year later, she's got, she, ha she has gone through enough physical therapy to use the muscle to actually do the dancing again, but her heart is stiff and paralyzed. And that's what happens. I really, really, really think that's what happens to us, ladies, to, to, on the continuum of degrees of that. I think that's what this parable of the talents is, is warning us about. You know, it's not just about you know, giving God what's due him, although that is part of our joy when we get into that cycle of, of giving God glory with what we do. But it's also, it goes way down into who we are and how joyful we are in our lives and how fulfilled and how, how convinced we are that we are doing the thing we are purposed for, you know. And so, as we move out from, from, and I want to go to this next slide, as we, as we kind of really understand that idea of resistance, you know, I want to ask you this, you, personally, how does fear manifest itself in the area of, of your gifts and talents? What does that look like for you? In what ways have you buried some of your gifts because of fear?
Well, given the power that fear has over us and given its stronghold in the area of our gifts and our creativity, it's no wonder that <clears throat> God gives us this incredible verse in 2 Timothy, which I hope you jot down, 2 Timothy 2, 6, and 7. Jot it down under that fear section in your notes because this is a scripture that I want you to hang on to tightly. Uh, and it's kind of a surprising one because many of us know this, this kind of, we know them as, as separate verses. We know, you know, rekindle the gift that is within you. This is Paul, uh, who's kind of like, you know, he's like the, the completely full-blown, you know, uh, gifted speaker and evangelist of, of the New Testament. And this is him talking to Timothy, a young man, just on the brink, beginning stages of his gift of preaching and teaching and evangelizing. And, and Timothy feels intimidated, he feels young, he feels inexperienced, and, he, and he's, you, know, you see these places throughout the books of Timothy where he's, he's getting discouraged and he's getting, he's getting overwhelmed and he's getting fearful. And so we have these moments where Paul kind of, kind of you know, breaks through that and, and says these kinds of things to him. And in this, this first verse, verse six, he says, you know, rekindle that gift that's in you, Timothy. And, and Paul had prayed over Timothy and prayed a gifting of teaching you know, on his life. But Timothy kept kind of uh, floundering in it and getting overwhelmed and really had a lot of fear that was, was preying on him. And so look at that, that next verse that's right next to it. For God has not given you, given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Um, man, I love the fact that that second verse is, is hitched right up against the one about the gift because I think it's, it shows so beautifully how we need that second half in order for the first half to work, you know? Because we will have fear, we will be overwhelmed, we will be intimidated, we will have times where we feel kind of stuck or paralyzed or buried. But that next piece that Paul tells Timothy, God has not given us a spirit of fear. It's like it, it does not, it, it gets, you know, it doesn't let anybody off the hook. It's in terms of, really fully moving in the area of your gift. It, because I think that those three, those three things, God has given us uh, a spirit of, of power and of love and of a sound mind. Well, power, what is, what is power as related to your gift? Think about that for a minute. If God's given you power along with that gift, well, that means he's given you the authority to share it. You know, he's, he's given you in some places, probably a platform, whatever that looks like, to share it, to use it. Power. He's given you effectiveness. You're good at it. That's power, right? He's also given you a sound mind around that gift. The ability to administer that gift. The ability to think it through. It's a sound mind, right? Good judgment is what that means. And then thirdly, he's given you love. So, so with that gift, it doesn't become a just about you, about serving yourself, about your own agenda. It becomes about loving on others with your gift. And you know what? Perfect love casts out fear. So if you're walking in your gift and it is out of love, there's no room for you to be afraid because it don't matter anymore what anybody says about you. It doesn't matter anymore whether you fall on your face. It doesn't matter anymore whether you make a million dollars at it. You're, you're doing it out of love not out of these other agenda items, right? And it sets you free. I mean, I think that's the beauty of it. I was, 
I have to tell you this story that it, that is, it, it, it stuck with me, and it, it happened early on when I first started singing and writing my own music. I was singing at a church, and afterwards, I had a table set up of, of my CDs, and uh, you know, usually, typically the table is set up kind of in the back area of the lobby, and I did this concert in an evening service. I was, it was way in the Midwest somewhere. I remember I was traveling alone that weekend, and after this, after this concert, uh, people started kind of filing out, and I was standing by, by, the, by the table. Now, <laughs> I have to tell you, if you've ever stood in front of a table of things that you, like, you've made with your own hands, <laughs> and you're like standing there and hoping people will buy them. It, seriously, it's the worst form of torture there is. <laughs> it is so horrible and awkward, and, and I, it never gets easy or fun. It's, it's just like, it's, it's necessary, you know, because you, you want to offer yourself to people. And it's like those of you who make things, you know, and you've been to craft fairs or anything like that, you just have to kind of develop this thick skin, you know, and it never happens, but you pretend it does, you know. So anyway, I'm standing back there. And it's for times like this that we, we cringe, and I'll tell you the story. So there's about maybe 10, 15 people milling around the table, and they're looking at different CDs, and this guy comes up, and he picks up a CD, and I say, um, you know, he's kind of looking doubtful, or just sort of standing there like he's not making any move with it. And so I said, well, was there a, like a specific song you were looking for or anything? And he said, oh, no, he said, um, I have, and it was an earlier CD, it wasn't my, br my brand new one, but he said, no, no, he goes, I found this one at my local Christian bookstore in the bargain bin for a buck. I already have it. And he, <laughs> and he put it down and walked away. And it was like, everybody at the table, it was just one of those like, did he, like, did he really just say that? You know? And you know, I'm standing there like kind of trying to like laugh it off, but it totally wasn't funny to me. <laughs> like, and you know, and then I, and then it was just weird because then people are kind of looking at my product, they're like, CDs are $15 and he got it for a buck and <laughs> wait a minute, you know, super awkward with a capital A and I was like, tried to laugh it off. I remember packing up my stuff, getting in the car, in the rental car to drive to my hotel and I was alone and something about that, it's like it kept going over in my head, bargain bin for a buck, a bargain bin, you know, and I thought about, like, I thought about that CD, I thought about all the songs I'd written on that CD, I thought about everything I was going through when I was making that CD and how hard it was to, to raise the money to, to make that CD and, you know, just every life experience that went into writing those songs and I, in that car, it just triggered something so deep and awful, I started just sobbing on the way to the hotel, I started sobbing. And you know that kind of cry where you're alone in your car? <laughs> and you're just like, I am going for it. You know, like, oh! <laughs> I mean, I was sobbing my guts out and crying out to God. And I mean, just, I was completely having a huge pity party in that car. And I was talking to God and I was just like, Lord, how dare, how dare he declare that my work, my work is worth a dollar. I can't, that's horrible. I work so hard. You know, and I'm like ramping up for the next round. And, you know, and I'm just telling him, you know, and, and I felt like at some point, you know, I got it all out because we got to get it out. Right, girls? We got to get it out. So I got it out. And then right, like somewhere in all that, I remember taking a little breath and I felt the Lord just speaking to me. And he said, shh, shh, shh. He said, he said, right, how dare he, you know? So he said, <laughs> so he said, so would you, so would you feel better if he had paid the $15? Would that make it okay? <gasps> what a help. I mean, <laughs> girls gotta make a living, you know what I'm saying? 
Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute. I just felt like, you know, the Holy Spirit was starting to do that thing where he'd come let us reason, right? He was like, let's talk about this. So what you're saying, Stacy, is you would have felt better if you'd paid $15 because your work is actually worth $15, not a dollar. Well, no, I mean, really, I can't put a price tag on that stuff because it's like my babies. I mean, those are songs I wrote. Those are, it's my life. Those are, those, that's like, it's like I'm pouring my soul out for people to read and hear. And so what you're saying, Stacy, is there's, you're really the only one who knows its true value because you made it. You're the creator of it. You, it's, your, it's the work of your hands. And I mean, a dollar, $15, that's just what the market value is, right? That's whatever you can get from the market. Well, yeah, I guess so. And, and so, and so as I'm you know, thinking this through, I'm, I'm realizing that, that what I'd done is I'd given him all this power, this, this random bargain bin guy. <laughs> I had allowed him to really sort of declare my worth as a, not just an artist, but as, like, as a human being, you know, to, to think that, to like believe him that I was worth a buck, you know, to, and of course, you know, he wasn't saying that. It's what I was hearing, and it was because his words triggered my worst fears, is that, is that the work of my hands is worth nothing. That's my worst fear. It's worthless. And as I felt God ministering to me and speaking to me about this area in my life, he was saying, look, in the same way that you wrote those songs, you know every word on every song of that CD, well, Stacy, I know every hair on your head. I knit you together in your mother's womb. Your name is written on the palm of my hand. All the, all the days of your life are numbered, and I know them. I am intimately acquainted with your, if you're laying down and you're rising, rising up in the morning. And just as you are the only one that can declare the worth of your music, your art, I am the only one who can declare your worth as your creator. <coughs> Nobody can put a price tag on you but me. And I paid the highest price for you. And I thought, whoa, that's a lesson I needed to hear. And I need it over and over and over in my life that, that the worth that God places on me, it sets me free from having to get my worth from you or you or you or you or you or you or you. We have to move out in that truth, ladies, in order to be full on effective in our gifts. Because otherwise, there are those strings attached, right? Oh, they didn't say thank you. Oh, they really didn't affirm me like I wanted to be affirmed. And I, you know, I didn't get paid enough. I mean, we've got to pull those strings back and understand that our worth is already set. You know, Ephesians 2 tells us, and it's not just any worth. It's not just a, a, a dollar. Ephesians 2 tells us we are God's workmanship. We are his workmanship. You know, there's different translations for that, and I looked at all of them, and it's all these incredible descriptions, work of art, masterpiece. We're already God's artwork. We already are beloved and prized and treasured. We're his Mona Lisa. We're his Academy Award winner. 
We're his prized pearl. He's created us anew in Christ so that we might walk in the good works that he's prepared for us beforehand. You know, <clears throat> I think that some of us forget about that first part of the verse. We are his workmanship, his work of art. We, we kind of go on to that next one, that next part. Oh, I have to do that good stuff. I have to do good works. I have to do good works. I have to keep doing good things without really fully marinating in the first part of that verse. We are already, <laughs> we're already the most beautiful, prized possession that God, that God has, that he sets his eye on. And from that place of beloved, we can walk in those good works that he prepared for us beforehand. I don't know what your good works are. I know I'm learning what mine are. I, I can't see all the way to the end of my life, but I can see today what I'm supposed to do. And I think I know tomorrow what I'm supposed to do. Those are the good works that he put for me to walk in. But it seems to me that, that, that the challenge for each of us is to say, God, what what, what are those good works that I'm to be walking in that are unique to me, that are perfectly suited to my gifts, my opportunities, my personality, my talents? And what are those things? And he'll show you. He will show you exactly what those things are for you. As you stay open to him, as you receive that first part, Lord, I thank you for loving me so much. Thank you, God, for putting the highest price on me your precious son. Well, I think that once we embrace that, that place of like, okay, God, I'm free. I'm free to move in my gift without strings attached. That's a huge freedom. And when we get there, we can become, we can become effective and we can really enlarge our whole vision about what, what we can do with our gifts, you know. And here's the other beautiful thing that happens in the parable of the talents. The one that was given 10 talents, who doubled it in, his, in, in that time the master was away, he was given more. He was given the one that got buried. Because here's what I think, here's the principle. The more you open those doors that, got, that you see in front of you, the more you walk in those good works, guess what? More opportunities come for you to use your gift to be faithful, to be fully you and authentically you to the world and the people in your world. I mean, it's not, it's not any set of, as I said, agendas or accomplishments. It's really just you fully understanding how you're wired and what you're good at and then walking in that fully. You know, without strings attached, without an agenda, we, we can truly give glory to God and point to our Creator as being the source of every good gift and the recipient of any praise or glory as a result of that gifting, right? It starts with Him and it ends with Him always. But we get to find joy in the journey, in the process of finding ourselves, of finding out who we are, and what we love to do. You know, I, uh, 
I wrote a book uh, recently, and I, it's called Flourish. And I think there's a tendency to think that, you know, you, you see a book like that, and you go, oh, Flourish. Oh, oh, that's one of those books where someone whose life is completely artistically all together and happening and growing in beautiful ways is writing about it, you know? And I just, I just, I feel like I just want to say to you ladies that that book came out of a season of absolute barrenness for me, creatively, emotionally, spiritually. I was at the tail end of one of the worst seasons I'd had in my life. And part of it was just life was hitting me hard. I, I was experiencing some challenges in my life, uh, in our family life. We had, we had lost, um, I live out in, I live out in Brentwood, which, you know, used to be like a, a peach orchard, you know, and cherry orchard, and now it's growing. And anyway, a few years, just two, three years ago, you know, with the housing market crash, we got hit hard and, and we, we lost our home. And I had to just go through that horrible, shameful and confusing process of saying, Lord, I thought we were being good stewards and I thought we had taken, a, I thought we had a good opportunity here and, and I thought this was a good thing and, and now it's, you know, we're, our entire financial picture is completely ruined. We had to walk through that and, and as we're walking through that, I, you know, I have two children and my son who was a teenager, an uh, older teenager at the time, he, um, he had this mental um, break that we don't, to this day, we don't exactly know what happened, but he had, uh, he just, you know, star of the football team, well-adjusted kid, great, you know, nothing's going on on the outside, and suddenly he has this, this mental breakdown. We had no idea how to navigate the world of mental health, and, and we were talking to counselors and therapists and pastors, and we didn't know what was going on. On the heels of that, my dad, who's very close to us, who lives a block away, my parents, I've, we've lived at them, near them for all my adult life. His, my parents have been married 50 years. He finds out he's got stage four lung cancer and he has three months to live. And it was like, you know, and I know there are people in this room that can say, yeah, I've had seasons like that where it just feels like one thing after another, and not little things, huge things happening. And I got to a point in my creative life and even really in my emotional life where I thought, okay, I'm just not gonna feel anymore. That's the ticket here. I gotta stop feeling. Because if I, if, I, if I even try to write a song about this, which of course I know that's what I do, you know, I write songs. If I even try to write a song right now, and this is you know, a year ago I'm thinking this, it means I have to dig down into that pain and into that wreckage and say something true and I can't even go there. I can't, I can't even. So I just stopped, and I kind of just went on autopilot for a while. But autopilot quickly becomes a, a sort of paralysis, you know? And then that becomes just a coldness. And then that becomes a wall. And, and before you know it, you've, you're sort of in this tomb of your own making, right? But I. I believe that we have a God that is intimately pursuing us, ladies. And he pursued me in that season. He pursued me into, really, the darkness of my own tomb. And I remember one day, I was, hadn't picked up my guitar in forever. And uh, I remember one day I was, I picked it up, because it was sitting in my bedroom. And I 
I did a different tuning with it that just made me kind of think about a, a, you know, a melody and, and uh, I began to hear a lyric and a melody again. I don't know why I picked up my guitar because I knew I was in trouble the minute I started thinking about a song. <laughs> you know, because for me, music is the place where I go to process my life, you know? And um, so as I was tuning my guitar, this melody came out, and, and the melody came with a lyric. The lyric was really about coming back to life and not staying in this frozen place. And what I realized is that God's love is not just, um, it's not just, uh, it's not just something we can sort of pick up and, and put away. And nor is our gift, nor is our true authentic identity something we can just bury and put away. And so as I began to write this song, and I'm going I'm to sing it for you so you can hear the, the lyrics that came to me that day, I realized that, you know, that everything we put our hand to, everything we put our hearts to, um, comes, comes alive in some way. You know, this whole idea of the parable of the talents is really us sowing ourselves into our own life and watching what grows, you know? And I, I realized that, that God's love and God's whole way of being is a constant, dynamic, moving, growing thing. That we are constantly in growth and in change or else we are not really fully engaged in the life God wants for us. And so even the fact that we're here this morning and that you're hearing this message means probably there's an area in your life that God's wanting to grow you. <laughs> and that's scary but it's also good because it means he has not given up on you. He is still pouring water and sunlight and air into your gift and into you so that you can grow. And that's really what this, this next song is about, is really that place of understanding that, okay, God really does love, love me enough to not let me stay As we, as we close out uh, this session, I, I want to, um, there was a, a last question that I was having you kind of think about and reflect on, and, and um, maybe we'll take just a minute before I pray, if you would, to just think about um, those areas in your life that you could be moving out, and you could be uh, sending out your own water and light and air of your own gift into the world as you invest yourself creatively into those paths that God has prepared for you beforehand. And would you allow me to pray for you this morning? Father, thank you for this group of beautiful women. What a privilege to stand up here and encourage them, your daughters, your girls. And Lord, to, to call them truly to flourish to call them to a life that is deeply rooted in you and yet has branches and beauty going out into the world. Father, I pray that life for each woman in this room. I 
this morning. I pray a life that is flourishing. I pray that, that each woman here this morning is encouraged to dig deeper into you, but also to stretch farther with herself into her community, into her family, into her workplace, into whatever, whatever it is, Lord, that you want her to reach with her gifts and her creativity. I pray, Father, also for the joy that follows that, for the joy that comes and wells up inside us and says, ah, it is good. It's good to be me and to be creative and to do this thing. It's good. Lord, you've given us that joy. And Father, I pray a blessing over every, every heart this morning, Lord, that you would Fill each one with your peace, with your love, with your absolute word of, of worth and belovedness over each one this morning, Father. We thank you for the privilege of coming together and worshiping in your name. Amen. <laughs>